0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the Weekend Mailbag, Easter Sunday edition. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined again, as always, by the owner, the editor, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal. Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag, and we'll start with our buddy Michael Christopher. Michael says, How do you weigh the need for premier position players like corner, edge rusher, and offensive tackle compared to needs of center and best player available. Would you take the premium position over everything if the grades are close, especially because it's hard to fill in free agency? For example, Williams versus Allen or Greedy Williams, Jonah Williams, or Brian Burns versus Bradbury or Hawkinson. So here's how I look at it. Joe Blewett put this out on Twitter, and I think he said it perfectly, and I abide by this, at pretty much all times, with the rare exception of, of quarterback or if I have a team that is maybe one player away at a certain spot at competing for a championship I might also make an exception of course the Jets do not fall into either of these categories this year so I probably would go along with what Joe Blue had said and it is this I am not going to pick a B plus prospect over an A plus player just because the B plus player plays a position I need more or plays a premium position I'm going to take the A-plus prospect. However, if it's close, if we're talking about somebody that I graded, say, a 97 versus a 95 or a 95 versus a 93, fine. Am I going to take a guy that I have rated significantly higher over the guy that's significantly lower, even though the guy that's rated significantly higher plays a less important position and a position that I don't need as much? 99 times out of 100, yes, I'm taking the better player. So to answer your question on the specifics here, I would absolutely take Quinn and Williams over Josh Allen. This is a surprise to nobody. If you've been listening to me or reading my work or looking at anything I've said on Twitter, there's absolutely nobody that could be surprised by that. As for the second part of this with Greedy Williams, Jonah Williams, Brian Burns versus Bradbury or Hawkinson. I think there's a little more leeway there because I think you could make a case that Burns and Bradbury and Hawkinson are all relatively close. So I would probably take Burns in that scenario. But would I take Bradbury over Greedy Williams, even though Greedy Williams plays a much more important position? I would definitely consider taking Bradbury over Greedy Williams, yes. Because I don't think Greedy Williams is going to be anything super special, whereas I think Bradbury has a chance to maybe be a Pro Bowl-level center. Not saying all-time great like Nick Mangold or Kevin Mawai, but I think he has a chance to be a much better player than Greedy Williams, so I would probably take Bradbury over him. So I guess it really kind of depends, but for the most part, I am going to take the guy that has the higher grade. I will make allowances for positional value or need if it's very close. Otherwise, pick the best player
1: yeah so i'm going to start where at the end there where you're just talking about the bradbury greedy williams thing because the cornerback's a little trickier because you can find cornerbacks the great cornerbacks late it's possible i mean you can find great players at every position late it's possible but cornerbacks hit late more often than edge you know edge rushers and left tackles and quarterbacks the, the quarter cornerbacks hit better more often that way. Uh, I'm in full agreement with you here if the if it's the grades are close you know same grade or within a couple points then that would be enough to give me the go with the premium uh, position there. It's like I, I think that uh, Quinn and Williams is a much better player or better enough player than Nick Bosa. if it comes down between those two I would pick Quinn and Williams but I totally understand and won't yell at anybody and tell them they're wrong for Nick Bosa. I do think the difference there is big enough that I'm going to roll with Quinn in that scenario, but it's not such a big where it's like the difference between Quinn and Williams and Josh Allen, it's not even a consideration for me. I'm going with uh, Quinn and Williams and I'm not even really thinking about it. One thing I will say, though, uh, this idea of, it's much harder to find, uh, you know, a pass rusher, uh, you know, later, like to get to get one in free agency. That is absolutely true. That's actually correct. But it is also much harder to find a player of Quinn Williams car- uh, caliber in free agency. You just look at the, you know, three three of the best uh, guys, you know, Jaron McCoy, Fletcher Cox, somebody he's been uh, uh, compared to a lot, Aaron Donald. Those guys are still with the same teams. Uh, Gerald McCoy's probably gone now, but that's because he's played, you know, 10 years or whatever now at this point, so he's not the same player. Those guys don't really hit free agency either. When you're that good, when you are, like Joe Blue had said, when you are an A-plus player, you're not going to hit free agency. That mm-hmm. Whoever takes him is going to keep him, and they're going to resign him. We're not talking about a running back who's going to get used up, and then the teams might not want to play them anymore after they put all those miles on them. Quentin Williams is very unlikely to become available in free agency. So, yes, uh, pass rushers do become less uh, available, less than inside guys more, or I should just say edge rushers because this is a thing, you know, I can go on a rant about this. Uh, to a little bit later about how the Jets don't need an edge as much as they just need pass rush, and Quentin Williams can give them that pass rush. But a player of that caliber doesn't come available that often, regardless of the position he plays. So that that makes a difference for me. I, if it's close enough, I will go with the premium position. But Quentin Williams, as Joe said, it's, he's an A plus talent, and I'm I'm going to go after that A plus talent almost every.
0: than a pass rusher hitting free agency, is an elite player at any position hitting free agency. So to your point, 100%, even if you want to say it's easier to land a decent defensive tackle than a decent edge rusher in free agency, it's harder to land an elite player at any position than it is to land a guy like, say, Zadarius Smith or Preston Smith, as we just saw This past year in free agency Next question comes in from Sue Just Sue She says once again like in the movie draft day The Jets no matter what need to trade down For a boatload of picks Is my math right they only have six picks this season I don't think it's really that big of a deal Normally you would have seven picks I don't know why six picks is some super low number We're not talking about the year that they had three picks Or anything like that I will say this again Yes if you can get a boatload of picks Sure trade down But there's an assumption among a lot of people, and I don't understand it, that there are teams waiting to give up a lot to move up. In fact, the Redskins one is my favorite now. There are these rumors that the Redskins like Dwayne Haskins. I think there's a big difference between liking Dwayne Haskins and loving him enough to jump all the way from 15 to 3. Now, granted, it is the Redskins, so it's Snyder and Allen and anything could happen, but we're making a lot of assumptions here. A lot of people saying, oh, the Giants will want this guy, they'll move up. I'm telling you, I don't think there's anywhere near as much interest in going up to number 3 and giving up a haul to do so, as some people do. From all that you hear there's lukewarm interest in that pick at number three. It's nowhere near what it would have been at number three if, say, the Jets hadn't traded up with the Colts and Darnold fell to number three, and now the Colts were holding an auction because this potential franchise quarterback is sitting there. It's a very different conversation because even the teams that like Haskins are not going to view him the way that most scouts viewed Darnold. So, I don't agree with just trading down to trade down. We've said this before, if they get a boatload of picks, fine. But, Sue, I'm sorry, you can't just trade down, quote-unquote, no matter what.
1: Yeah, uh, here's the thing, because uh, you know, last year, obviously, with those quarterbacks, teams were more inclined to give up more. If we talk about next year's draft class, where you have uh, Tua, where you have Fram, where you have Herbert, if you talk about those guys, then all of a sudden teams are going to be willing to give up all that. This happens to be a bad year to be in the third spot if you really want to trade down. You can definitely do it if you're just determined to do it like we talked about earlier. Uh, he can definitely trade down if he just wants to trade down. But to be able to really pick up three or four guys, that's going to be uh, three or four extra picks. I, you know, th- That's going to be – I have a hard time seeing that happen. Like you said, I – can't can't ever rule out Washington doing something like that. It would be dumb. It would be a bad decision. But that is something that Washington does quite quite consistently. So, you know, you can't rule that out. I do understand what Sue's saying there, though, with the only three six picks. I, I, you were right about that, uh, you know, how it's normally just seven. But with the amount of holes the Jets have, it, it, you can sit there and look and feel, and especially with having no second. So you and then you have the two third rounds, but you sit there, that's yeah, those that six picks isn't enough to fill all these holes. Now we've talked about this uh, you know, throughout the whole entire off season. It was gonna be impossible for them to fill all their holes but i get how only having six you can look at it and be like oh it's only six with all the holes we have here but again i i'm more concerned if i was running this team i just give weapons around donald i wouldn't even be opposed to really ignoring the defense this year just build that offense around donald make sure you protect him and give him all the weapons possible collect some extra picks and, and go forward from there. But, you know, we're all going to have our little differences there, but that, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of, a lot of options to do. That's, you know, the bad part about drafting so poorly for all these years and even the years before McCagney got here. You're left in this position now where you don't have enough picks to do what you want. You have too many holes to fill. And uh, if you want to do that, you're going to have to pass up on a premium player as Quinnen Williams or a Nick Bosa. So it's a tricky situation. But, you know, the one thing just hang your hat on, at least they made that move last year and you got Sam Darnold now, so you're not doing and looking for a quarterback at least.
3: Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020- 2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more you are able to subscribe to hooping with hoops on apple Podcasts, google play spotify stitcher TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts
0: this is the overtime podcast network too many holes to fill sounds like a really awesome name for an album and by the way for as many holes as they have they did fill the biggest one last year like you said chris yep. so that's one they can certainly cross off of their list next question i should say a comment comes in from jimmy at endgame 1776 he says chris i know you're a very big deal but for the love of god could you please blow your nose before the podcast <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I don't
1: know if my nose is clear right now i get some bad allergies sometimes and my allergies are weird because like i don't have allergies that affect me throughout the day i get these allergies where like I am just, like, sneezing for, like, 10 or 15 minutes straight, and then it goes away completely. But my nose is completely clear right now. Uh, I don't don't think I've had any problems. I think that's just my voice. So make all the fun of you want. I'm right there with you. I I hate it more than you (laughs) do.
0: Chris, before we come on the air next time, I'll have to get you some cough drops or something. I don't really know what to do about this, but I've never noticed anything. I just think it's funny that this guy continues to rag on you, and he's just giving you a hard time. I don't think he's doing it because he's mad at you. Obviously, yeah, I'm he's not, I'm not offended or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Jimmy. We needed this laugh on this Easter weekend. Next question comes in from Tom Marvulli. He says... Would you agree that it's starting to sound like the Jets' best chance of trading down is at the beginning of round three and four unless there's a surprise team coming up for Williams or a QB? This is an interesting one. So he's basically saying the better way to acquire picks or the more likely way is going to be trading down from their spot in round three rather than the number three overall pick. I see what he's saying. Obviously, you can easily get a second rounder or something like that if you trade down from the number three overall pick. But if the theory is that nobody's going to offer you something that's worth trading out for, you might be able to get something for trading down in that third round. Because remember, Chris, those are very important picks. Let's remember the third round is where a lot of guys drop to. And we've talked about Ja'Kai Polite maybe being available at that spot or even somebody like Kajust. If they slide there, some team might be willing to jump up and try to snag them. And certainly in the fourth round, that starts off day number three so teams will have had an entire night to sleep on it and think about the prospects that they wanted that they didn't get in the first two nights so there could be possibilities there I get what you're saying I think they certainly could trade down in a second with that number three overall pick if they want but if they determine that they're not going to get enough to make it worth their while they certainly could trade down in the third or fourth
1: yeah they could certainly do that and that would definitely be easier to pull off but then you're giving up a little more impact right away like the I, he really wants that second round pick and again I said the value in this draft it's typically and there's a lot of value in this draft and I'm not saying there's not going to be value in the fourth and fifth round although as I said my my draft expertise as much as it is with quote marks around it is mostly focused on rounds one through three I'll know some guys here and there for five um, and then you know, scattered a little bit more. But I, he wants that second round pick. He would want more third round picks. You start trading those third round picks. I think he really wants to use those third round picks. You know, I like you said, if there's a Jakai Polite there, if there's a uh, you know a, a an Adob- Adoba Chuma Adoba is still there, uh, you know, uh, Kajust is still there, or uh, like we said before earlier that I think. Uh, Gase would absolutely want to get one of those speedy receivers, whoever's left. You know, you could look at a tight end, a Dawson Knox type thing, if he's still there. So I, I think you're gonna, there's going to be so many players in those that third round available. He's going to want to use those picks and not look to trade back to get an extra fourth or a fifth round pick at that point. He he wants to trade out of the first to pick up a second and some more thirds or maybe you know next year picks right there. And uh, you could, it'll be easier to trade down out of those third-round picks, but you're not going to get anything near the same value. That's the point of trading away that first pick is, or, you know, that first-round pick is you can get a whole lot more value. A lot of times you see teams trading those middle rounds, and it's kind of just like a flip. Or we could see something along the lines of, hey, take Darren Lee and give us a fourth. You know, something along those lines would, would seem to make a lot of sense.
0: Absolutely agreed, although I will say that he has a really good point about if the idea is to pick up extra picks, you could probably pick up an extra fourth or even an extra third if you were to make a move later on. It's an interesting thought because that way it doesn't necessarily pigeonhole you into taking a bad offer with the number 3 overall pick. If you're desperate to get extra picks, there's another way that you could get some. You're probably not getting a second rounder that way, but it's still an interesting thing to consider.
1: Yeah, and but the thing that you got to consider here is the idea of trading out of that first pick. Is you're thinking, okay, let me get three or four other picks who within those first three rounds, or you know, maybe one of them is early pick next year. But when you're picking in those first three rounds, you're generally picking a guy that you think can come and contribute from day one that could start if need be after those four, six, six rounds. Yeah, you get more players if you go ahead and trade down, but they might not be able to contribute right away. And so that makes it a little trickier there, too. I think that if they want to trade down, they want to trade down to be able to pick more guys that could be starters from day one.
3: Hey, guys. Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint
0: Really depends on what their board looks like Because if they think that there are some guys In the fourth round that could come in and contribute right away, kind of the way Christopher Herndon did. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but they did a redraft recently, and Herndon was 27th overall. So that right there solidifies what could end up being Mike McKagan's best value draft pick of his 10 years so far. If Christopher Herndon, who he landed in the fourth round, ends up giving you late first round value, you've definitely won. So if there are guys like that that they see in the fourth might be worth thinking about, especially depending on who's available when they come up picking in the third and fourth. And as far as surrendering draft capital to get those guys that you were talking about that can make a difference on day one, here's an interesting one from at Matt Enough. He says, Thoughts on using next year's draft assets to get back into the first round for somebody like Garrett Bradbury. This is, of course, assuming they don't trade down at number three. The team really needs to solidify the interior of the line, but there's no way they can feel confident that they could definitely do it in round three. So here's what I'd say about that. I think it really depends. If somebody like Bradbury slips a lot more than you expect, let's say he's available toward the end of the first round, and now the price isn't outlandish, I think you make the call and dip your toe in the water and see what it might take. I don't love the idea of giving up future draft assets, but if there's a guy like Bradbury there that you think could potentially be a pro bowler for you for the next five to ten years, and you can get him for a price that's lower than you expected absolutely something you should consider would I do it if we're talking about trading up real high again to get him no because that's going to require some sort of insane haul that you would have to give up but certainly if he drops to a spot where you're comfortable I'd make some calls and see what you could pull off because I think Bradbury is a really really good player again not Nick Mangold or Kevin Mawai, but if he drops to the end of the first round the price might be worth it it's certainly worth making the phone call and seeing whether or not it would be a good move for you.
1: Yeah, with, with, since they don't have a second-round pick, it is like I, I can't see a way that it would make sense to trade back up into the first. Because uh, if you need to do that, you're, you're going to have to give up the first next year. And I don't know about – I know the schedule is just released. Everybody's super optimistic. Sam Darnold year two. Now you got Le'Veon Bell, CJ Mosley, Jamison Crowder. Uh, Jamal's taking the next step. Everyone's all excited. But you can't sit here and tell me that you you know that they're going to be picking in the 20s next year. Uh, like, so – To make a move up into the first round, that's going to be too rich for my blood, especially to move up into the first round to draft a center. I'm not not giving up next year's first round pick to draft a center as much as I do love Bradbury and think he's going to be awesome. Uh, And then but would I, would I consider moving up into the second round? Absolutely. You know, maybe uh, you you can trade, uh, you know, one of the thirds and then, uh, a, a second next year, something along those lines. I'm, I'm definitely all for using, you know, a, a mid round pick this year to, to, uh, or next year to go ahead and try to move up in the draft now. And then just keep doing that every year forever. And so you can always recoup that back doing that. Um, So I'm, I'm for that, but doing it into the first round would be a bit much, you know, if they had that second round pick, then I'd I'd be like, okay, you can, You could trade them the second round pick and then, you know, a third or a fourth, you could do something like that. That would make sense. But the only way they would be able to pull off trading into the first round this year would be to give up their first round next year. And I'm not doing that for a center and I don't know that, that, I'd probably, I'm probably only doing that for a quarterback or for an absolute elite uh, edge rusher. You know, I, I would do that for a Miles Garrett type, but that's about it. You know, that's about it.
0: Well, that's why I said it would depend on the price, and also I think. There is a scenario where, let's say, you use Darren Lee to hop up from the beginning of the third round into, say, the middle to the end of the second round. If you could, say, use that pick and next year's second rounder and then maybe like next year's fourth to move up to the very end of the first round, that might be worth doing. That was kind of the scenario, really, that I was talking about. But I'm always for making the call and finding out what it would take because there's really nothing to lose. I wouldn't give up some sort of insane haul, but like I said, if you could pull off something along the lines of what I was just talking about and the price was reasonable, I'd certainly consider it. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Zachary Houck. He says, is Frank Clark a realistic option for the Jets, given Max' tendencies to avoid players with domestic abuse issues? And given the abuse issues that he's dealing with, Should he even be considered? So the first part of this we touched on before, which is that it sure seems like Frank Clark is a realistic option. It's just a matter of whether or not the Jets are able to come up with what Seattle wants for him, because according to reports, the Jets are certainly very interested. So we'll see if they trade down. I think it's a possibility. I also think that if Seattle decides to move him afterwards, kind of along the lines of what happened last year with Khalil Mack, then it could be possible if they're willing to take next year's draft capital but as far as the domestic abuse issue and whether or not he should be considered or whether Mac would consider him obviously Mac is considering him if these reports are true also I've always felt that the zero tolerance thing was overblown a little with Mac. I know that he typically likes to steer away from that, but I also think that Frank Clark is a little bit different than your garden variety player in terms of it's been five years. Now, I'm not excusing what he's done, but it's possible that the Jets have done research on him, seen what he's been like in those five years, and as we said before Chris With the character stuff Maybe they've seen that He's been a better person And maybe even behind the scenes He's working with Domestic abuse shelters Or something I really don't know So maybe they've dug into him And realized Okay this guy made a terrible mistake Five years ago And now he's a different person And so maybe we're willing To bring him in If you look at what happened With Brandon Marshall Obviously something similar Went down there Where he had had Domestic abuse issues And the Jets ended up Trading for him We also know what happened With Quinn Nunwa. I know people say he was already On the roster true But if McKagan truly had a zero Tolerance policy he would have either Traded Nunwa or at the very least Not extended his contract So I think that the zero tolerance Thing as it pertains to Mac is a little Overblown I think he tends to not like To go with those guys all things Equal but I think that In situations like this, if he has the right intel that tells him that Clark is a different person now, he would certainly consider it, and those reports seem to indicate that. As far as whether or not he should be in consideration based on what he did... That's not really a decision for me to make. And I don't really want to take a position on that. I'll simply say I understand both sides of the issue. I understand thinking that if a guy did something like that five years ago, it's unforgivable and you don't want somebody like that on your team. I also understand somebody that would say, well, it was five years ago. He's changed. Give him a second chance. If he does something bad again, get him out of here. You could even build something into the contract. So I get it from both sides. I'm not going to make a judgment on it one way or the other. I understand where both sides of the coin are coming from.
1: Yeah, I'll start here with the, the whole idea of zero tolerance. We hear about this in sports all the time. There is no such thing as zero tolerance in sports. We have seen teams talk about it and then immediately go back on it. There is no such thing. The closest thing you can get is we have zero tolerance for it happening on our watch or to just pick up a guy fresh off of a domestic violence case like that, like with the uh, you know, Green Hunt wasn't—I I, don't—you can't really call that domestic violence because it wasn't somebody he had a relationship with, but still, uh, he that happened, McCagnum wasn't going to get involved. That was a fresh thing that just happened. The Frank Clark thing, we can debate all we want. I'm I'm not taking a stand on this either. I'm just telling you how sports work and how sports teams work. After a certain amount of time passes, that goes away because they're able to go ahead and justify it, and they're able to sit here and talk about it. I saw a report uh, the other day about how John, uh, John Dorsey is in love with uh, the prospect, the kid Jeffrey Simmons, who had that incident in high school. And Dorsey has made a bunch of those risky picks before. A bunch of them have come and backfired on him. With, you know, Tyreek Hill's not quite there yet, but he drafted Kareem Hunt and now he signed Kareem Hunt again. He t- he did it with Antonio Callaway last year. He takes those chances and now he's ranting and raving about how much he loves Simmons. So, this in sports. They talk about this. They talk the good game. But if time passes, they will be able to justify it and they will be able to sell you on all this look at what when the Seahawks drafted uh Clark they talked about how they did all this investigation and stuff it came out later that they didn't actually do everything that they said they did but they were able to use it as a justification and that you brought up Brandon Marshall at the perfect point uh you know and and people sit there and say you know that was early that was his first year well he would have been less inclined to do that then he didn't have the pressure then I, he's right now, he knows he's getting close to his job on the line, whether this is a make a year break year for him or he gets you know two more years. He knows he's getting close. He'd be more willing to go ahead and take that risk. But again, if don't be expecting a draft-day trade. Unless we hear that Frank Clark signs that franchise tag, he can't be traded until he signs that franchise tag. So I, I would not be sitting here hoping for a draft day trade, it would have to be done before or after, and they don't have the picks to do that. So if you're really looking at that, I would think you'd be trying to look for after the draft for that to happen.
0: Next question. Peter Dillard gets in again. I'm going to allow it because Peter's one of my favorites. He says, is it my imagination or is there a lot of offensive line depth in this draft? I don't think anyone's good enough to pick third overall, but doesn't it seem like you could get a solid player in rounds three through six? So I'm going to agree with you all the way around. I wouldn't pick any of these offensive linemen number three. If I traded down a little, I might. And I do think that there are some good offensive linemen that you could be able to get in rounds three through six. We talked about Kajust before. He's going to drop a little bit because of the injury issues. You might see somebody like McCoy be around there in the third round. This is a draft where I think if you have smart people that know offensive line, you can get some gems. Not necessarily guys that are going to light the league on fire, but guys that could be dependable, solid starters. So, yeah, I agree with you, Peter.
1: Yeah, I agree about, you know, nobody being there at three. I don't know that I'd say that it's a deep draft there, that there's a lot of talent there, but I will say that uh, the uh, Kajust and, uh, you know, Chuma Adoba, again, there's two guys who have a lot of talent, have a lot of ability. The thing is they they have some question marks that people question how much they really love the game and stuff like that, so... You know, and then it's not an offensive lineman, but again, we've talked about Ja'Kai Polite and those. If if you really want the top notch quality there, there's going to be some other concerns there. That that's why they're still available. But those two offensive linemen, Kajus and Adoba, they're they're definitely quality guys. You can, they'll probably be able to get in the third. Uh, you know, after that, I don't think it's it's super deep. But again, there's gonna there's gonna be people there for somebody to pick up and for the you know the scouts who are paid to do it professionally and know way more about it than me. I'm sure there's there's going to be a couple of them that you know Frank Pollock's going to be banging the board, standing on the table, saying, "Take that guy, take that guy."
0: I should clarify, I'm not saying that it's deep in the sense that you're going to get guys in the third, fourth, and fifth. They're going to be all pros or Pro Bowlers necessarily, right. but I do think that there are guys like McCoy, like Kajus, and a couple of others that you might be able to get in those rounds that could come in and start. I think that once you get into those rounds, that's really what you're looking for. If you can get a solid starter in those rounds, then it's definitely a win. And I'm not even talking about somebody like, say, Brandon Shell. I know people are going to come at me who I think is at best an eh uh, tackle. I'm talking about somebody that could actually be a solid to good starter. Again, not a pro bowler, not an all pro, but somebody that could be a solid to good starter. I think it's certainly possible in these rounds. Next one is from our buddy Tyson Roush from Let's Talk Jets. He says, "Which day of the draft will Darren Lee be traded?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and guess day number two. Why? Just because I don't know. It just seems like a good day for him to get traded.
1: All right, cool. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you went with that because I can have a different answer and I'll say day number three. Uh, I, <laughs> I, just, I just we've talked about this before. I think that it that they seem pretty determined to trade him, uh, and I. I think that, you know, I think other teams are aware that they're pretty determined to trade them. I don't think anybody's really beaten down the door. Like, we need to give give up a, you know, a second or a third for Darren Lee. So I think they're most likely get, you know, a fourth or a fifth. Now, it could go day two if they do some type of, you know, package give up, like we were talking about earlier. And give up a, a second round pick next year and Darren Lee to move back up into the second or third, something like that. That could, I could see that happening, but if we're just talking a straight up exchange of Darren Lee for picks, I I'm going to go ahead and say it's third, third day.
0: Next question is from sun Moonrise Who says, what if Arizona doesn't pick Kyler Murray at number one? If you were a team that really wanted Kyler Murray, What would your strategy be in terms of trading up for the sake of argument? Assume that every team from two on is willing to move for the right price. This is interesting. I guess, A, it depends on how badly you want Kyler Murray, and B, you'd have to do your homework and try to figure out exactly how far you have to jump, because remember, let's say you make the move and you jump up to number three with the Jets, you're leaving the opportunity for somebody to leapfrog you at number two with the San Francisco 49ers, so if you really want Murray, the best move would be to try and figure out a deal with the San Francisco 49ers, if you're trying to play it a little closer to the vest, maybe you talk to the 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 Oakland Raiders I would say That overall you would Probably want to get ahead of the Raiders Because there's whispers that Gruden likes Kyler Murray we don't know if It's true because it's Gruden so who knows what's Real with him but you wouldn't Want to take that chance so you'd want to go to At least three but you might want to Go all the way to number two because You'd be afraid that if you go to three then Somebody will leapfrog you at number two
1: Yeah I'll start with that point you made About Gruden too because they just Sent all their scouts home
0: I meant to mention that because they're not sure they can trust them. What in the heck is going on over there?
1: Well, here's – so that's that's why those whispers – got to look at those whispers in a different light right now because what's happened – the fact of saying go home, get out of here, don't come back until after the draft, that's weird and it's hilarious and it's, and it's awesome and it's chaos and it's great. Uh, but where the new GM comes in, the old co- scouting staff gets frozen out from decision-making or rise to get closer and closer to the draft. They don't want those guys leaking anything. They don't want any infighting and bickering. That this, this is one of the things that NFL needs to figure out a better system to deal with this because it doesn't make sense to bring in a new GM to work his first draft with a whole bunch of scouts that he doesn't know or trust. So the new GM comes in. Those scouts do typically get locked out from seeing a lot of the the boards once they're set. They want to prevent them from being able to leak any information to be able to use that information to go to another team and say, Hey, I I'm tell you what that, what they're going to do here. And then, you know, try to use that as leverage for a new job elsewhere. There's all types of funny things like that to take it to the extreme of saying, go, go home and don't come back. That is, that's, that's weird, but to see them phased out in some sort of way like this, to see them not trusted—that's normal. That's how it goes. But um, yeah, so the, the you got to look at those rumors and whispers a little bit differently now, though, because where are they coming from? Where are they smoke? Or is that is that why that Gruden and uh, they have to say get out of here now? Um, so if if Kyler Murray doesn't go number one. I, you're right that that makes the, you know, that's that would be best case scenario for San Francisco, most likely, uh, because the teams are going to immediately start calling San Francisco trying to get up there. Uh, but the, if the Jets could hope that, you know, maybe San Francisco is just like, okay, well, well, just that leaves either Quentin Williams or Nick Bosa, and they're happy to just take them, and then the Jets are sitting there with Kyler Murray on board, that would be the best possible scenario for the Jets. For the, for, Kyler Murray to be sitting there at third, and then all of a sudden McKagan can sit here and, and you know, get the hole that he's looking for, because somebody is going to do that. I'm rooting for Kyler Murray not to go first, just because everybody seems set on it, and I love chaos. I'm a big fan of chaos. I would love to see how this happens and watch everybody panic and be like, wow, what's going on? Why is this blah, blah, blah? It would be hilarious to see but that would be the best case scenario for the jets is kyler murray is still available at 3 and then they could trade him for a haul somebody is definitely going to do it we talked about this I, I don't think the giants would be that team i don't think that they would like kyler murray but you know somebody would do it one of those teams would, would a quarterback maybe even that that might t- make miami decide hey we want a quarterback now go up there now would they trade with the jets do all that who knows Well, that would be the best-case scenario for them. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I still think Kyler Murray's going to go first overall. It just seems to be too good of a fit with uh, Cliff Kingsbury over there.
0: Final question comes from Butchie O'Dwyer. He says, since Eli is completely shot... Do you think the Giants should draft Johnny Utah hoping for a full ACL recovery or Joe Kane, hoping he can figure out his substance abuse issues? I think that if they're going to draft Joe Kane, they should probably also draft Alvin Mack. I know that he's had a rough go and he hurt his leg and there's talk. He may never play again, but boy, he's one of the best defensive players I ever saw. So to answer this seriously, obviously, Butchie is joking around because Johnny Utah is the FBI agent slash former quarterback from Ohio State who wasn't real, played by Keanu Reeves. And the other one is Joe Kane, who is played by Craig Schieffer, the actor. He was the quarterback in the movie, The Program. And I just mentioned Alvin Mack, who is a defensive lineman in the movie, The Program. I got to say, I'm pretty surprised that Butchie went with Johnny Utah here because Keanu Reeves played a quarterback much more recently than that in the replacement in Shane Falco. So you could have gone that route too, Butchie. I do think that if Joe Kane can clean up his alcoholism, though, he really brought his A game in the second half when Eastern was able to overcome that deficit and win that game to put them into a bowl. So you got to say Joe Kane resilient, certainly a good choice. Would he be a good fit in New York with the media, though, and with his drinking problems and the spotlight always on him? I don't know, but Johnny Utah, man, it's been a while since he would have played. That ACL really was a bad deal, and he's a rookie FBI agent, so you got to figure he's probably not in football shape anymore. Might just have to stick with Eli for another year.
1: Yeah, see, you know, I'm I'm partial more. I'm gonna go with the Vince Howard route. the The Giants probably might not want to. The Giants might want to go with the Matt, the Matt Saracen route. So, you know, I'm partial to Vince Howard there. Matt Saracen might be a better fit if. If you're not understanding these words I'm saying then you didn't watch Friday Night Lights like I did, Um, the the TV show version, I should clarify there. Uh, But, yeah, you know, great athlete, makes a strong arm, plays with his legs, probably doesn't fit very well what the Giants want to do. The scrappy underdog Matt Saracen would be the move there uh, for, for the Giants.
0: Ooh, I like Matt Saracen. That's a good one. He's one of my favorites. And as long as that means that I get to see Julie Taylor on my screen again, that's a win. Friday Night Lights, one of the greats. It'll never get old. And Chris, I think there's no better way to finish this mailbag than to say this. Clear eyes, full hearts,
1: can't lose. Can't lose.
0: Works every time. Chris, thanks so much for joining me on this weekend mailbag Easter Sunday I'm going to go eat plenty of chocolate right now. Cadbury cream eggs are my Easter tradition since I was a little kid. So I'm going to have a few of those. But while I get my first cream egg ready, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you and where they can read your very big deal work.
1: Yeah, you can find uh, uh, the website at JetsInsider.com and on Twitter at CNimbley and at JetsInsider as well.
0: Go ahead and check out Chris on Twitter and go to JetsInsider.com where you will now see the work of our buddy Alan Schechter, who is the deputy editor over there. So if it wasn't good enough for you that the very big deal Chris Nimbley was there, now he's got Alan Schechter, and they were one of the best tag teams out there covering the Jets. So check out JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.